My name is Scott Reichenbach. I coordinate, I work for Samaritan's Purse in the World Medical Mission, the medical arm of Samaritan's Purse. I coordinate the two-year post-residency program, uh, programs and a stepping stone for physicians to get to the mission field. And so they've asked me to moderate this session for you guys today. And uh, I'm going to pass the microphone down the panel here and let them give you a couple minutes about themselves. And then I'm just going to wander around and answer your questions. We'll let you guys pose your questions and we'll hear what the panel has to say and just guide the conversation that way. Uh, actually, let me open in prayer and then we'll pass the microphone around and let these guys introduce themselves. Lord, just uh, thanks for this day. Thanks for this conference. Lord, and the way you've used it in so many lives. Uh, Lord, I just ask that you be glorified in this session. Lord, that uh, your, uh, your truth would be proclaimed. Lord, that your name would be glorified. That you'd be honored in what we uh, say. Lord, that uh, those that are here would be encouraged to, to go and do what you've called them to do. Whether it's here in the U.S. or around the world uh, through medicine. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the way you blessed us and all that you've done for us and what your son has done for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay. Oh, hey, real quick, too. If you, when you came in, there should have been a sign at the door. Hopefully you noticed. We will ask that you not take any pictures or videotape any of this. Um, some of these guys work in sensitive places, and we don't want to compromise the ministry they have. So please... Don't take pictures. I'm Brian Robinson. I'm a general internal medicine physician uh, working in China. We've lived there for 17 years. Uh, raised three kids there. My wife's a counselor. And uh, I was in uh, education. I uh, homeschooled our children. Uh, we also gone to Chinese school half-time while uh, we've been in China for the first nine years of their education. So, uh, we've been allowed to get for the kids being in the school system also. My name is Rachel McLaughlin, and I'm an OBGYN. I actually first came to this conference in 2003 when I was a medical student at Loma Linda, and I met my husband, Eric, here. So this conference is near and dear to my heart. Um, he's a family practice doctor, and we just finished two years at Tenwick Hospital in Kenya through the post-residency program with a group of several other doctors um, from our church, a general surgeon and an ophthalmologist. And we have plans to head to Burundi after this to work long-term. And we also have, my husband and I have two kids, Maggie, who's two and a half, and Ben, who's eight months. So some of the challenges of being a mom and a doctor and a missionary and a wife and all those things. Hi, I'm Grace Womack, and I am with SIM, uh, serving in mission. And um, I have spent uh, four years in South Sudan, um, actually running a program for malnourished children. Um, and I am a grandma of ten children. So nine of them live ne- right next door. So that's, that's a blessing. It was hard to leave them, too, I want to tell you. God gave me lots more kids. Um, and right now, I came back from, uh, from uh, Sudan in December, and I am now a um, missions recruiter, so working with SIM. Hi, my name is Lisa Giesler, and I work with ABWE. I'm a nurse practitioner, nurse educator in our hospital, Memorial Christian Hospital in Malangat, Bangladesh. And I'm home for a six-month furlough, and I've been a 
Bangladesh now almost 10 years and have thoroughly enjoyed working there and wearing the clothing that we wear in Bangladesh. Since I'm talking about it today, I decided to be all there today. <laughs> so thank you very much. Okay, let's open it up. Questions? Who wants to start? What do you want to know? My question is fairly general, but I wanted to, I don't remember your name, but the, you talked about the challenges of being a wife and a mother and a doctor and a missionary. If you could just share a bit about that, the um, great things and the hard things, uh, just your perspective on the whole thing in general, I guess. Sure. Um, well, I've wanted to be a medical missionary since I was 16 years old, so it was something that I felt that God had called me to early, and early on I was thinking that I was going to end up needing to go as a, a single missionary because guys aren't really beating down the door of girls who want to spend their life overseas. But I did meet Eric, and so I felt that God had called me also to be a wife, and then later on he blessed us with children, so obviously he's called me to be a mother. And so um, there were a lot of challenges, I think, trying to balance all those roles, especially overseas, uh, when you're, you know, you're in a culture outside your own, you're not surrounded by your family, and you have a different support network. Um, there, there was just a lot of challenges, like the hospital is very busy, and I feel like this is very good work, and yet... I can't spend all of my time in the hospital because I have a family to come home and take care of as well. Um, I have two little kids who need me to take care of them, and so when I'm at the hospital, I feel like I should be at home. When I'm at home, I feel like I should be at the hospital. And so I think that there's always going to be a lot of challenge when you're working overseas because there's so much need. You feel like you should be giving 100% of yourself to your work all the time. And yet the reality also is that God has called us to be in families and in community, and so you can't neglect that part of your life as well. And so for us, we're still working on a balance, um, but working part-time has been helpful for me and also the community that I went out with. Um, there's two other families, um, and the, the wives of the doctors are stay-at-home moms, and they've been very helpful as well in helping with child care and stuff. And so, you know, recognizing that you can't give 100% of yourself to everything all the time, trying to find limits that work for you and your family, um, and then also being willing to accept help. Because I think a lot of times in the medical profession, you have to be very self-sufficient, but that's not going to work when you have all of these different roles to fill. Um, you, need, you need help, of the help of your community, and so being willing to accept that. Next. Hi, my name is Amanda, and uh, just being a nurse for the last several years, I kind of have a two-part question. Um, I've, I've been in critical care for the last number of years, but I know in the mission field there's a lot of need for OR nurses. So when you've been an ICU nurse all those years, do you really find a place to plug in when you go overseas and they don't have ventilators and they don't have all the drips? And I mean, are we really going to be able to plug in well? And does it advance you as far as a nursing overseas to have a nurse practitioner license? I can answer part of it, perhaps. One thing that you learn when you go out to the field, especially if you go into a remote area, is that you have to be flexible. 
you may go thinking you're going to do some one thing, and then the Lord changes that. Um, there's, I thought I was going out to Sudan to work in a clinic and found out there were so many malnourished children we had no place to put them. So I started a program for them and we built a village for them and, and it worked out really well and, got, and God did it. Um, another thing is a nurse practitioner. We had a nurse practitioner running our clinic. So, yeah, <laughs> there's much need out there for those. Because there's... I think in Sudan it's like one doctor for every 600,000 people. For every 600,000 patients, one doctor available. Now that may have changed recently, I'm not sure, but there aren't too many doctors that that do go out. There are some, and less them, but nursing is a field that they need you everywhere. Doctors too. Um, we had a nurse practitioner that was running our clinic. So, yes. I started out as an ICU nurse also. I was in ICU for five years before I went to Bangladesh and in the ER one year. And you are correct. We don't have the drips and things like that. But the assessment skills that you know, mm-hmm. you will utilize to the maximum on the mission field because you don't have all of your monitors. And so you have got to rely on your assessment skills. So I feel like I do use the things that I did before. As far as being a nurse practitioner, um, they are very needed on the field. But we have two nurses in Bangladesh that don't have their uh, advanced degree, and they basically are working as nurse practitioners in our outpatient department. Um, The things that you know... uh, far as Bangladesh are way beyond a lot of the nationals that are there and so I think probably in any field that you go to you will find that you will be in a role of education and instructing them and so the things that you know here will be definitely used in a lot of different ways, ways you've never imagined probably. And the Lord will stretch you. (laughs) He will teach you. Yeah, that's the piece I would add. My background is nursing. I did peds ICU nursing. And my first experience internationally was doing a feeding center. Mm-hmm. We don't deal with malnutrition in our PICUs in the States. And <laughs> it, it really teaches you to rely on the Lord. You, know, you have the skills and talents. You know what to do. As was said, the assessment skills are huge. But it does. It's The Lord's going to get you through and remind you very quickly that he's in control when you need him. Hi, my name's Eric, and uh, my question couldn't be answered by any of you guys. Uh, basically, how did you come to find your calling of where you were going to go? You, some of you expressed a calling at a young age to do missions, but then how did you find the field, the community, the country um, to, to serve at? Well, I can answer part of that again. <laughs> um, 85%, statistics show 85% of all missionaries that come from the United States first thought about it first thought about it when they were a child. Okay? That's just the way the Lord works. And as far as how did I know, God definitely brought me to that realization. And to go out to Sudan where it's very hot, I went kicking and screaming at first. Okay? I, 
I did not want to go where it was hot. I didn't want to go where it was a big sandbox. I didn't want to go where people were fighting all the time. But I wanted to go where he was leading me. And I knew because he was bringing people across my path constantly who were either from Africa or going to Africa or whatever. And you know after a while and then you feel the peace that yes, this is where he wants you. Yeah. The Lord sent us to China via Africa. Um, we went and worked in a hospital in Africa, and it's through that experience that the Lord called us to China. So the Lord works in strange ways, but He confirms it in all of our hearts. And uh, when we were in China uh, for a few years, someone was telling me that I need to have a strategy plan for reaching our province and all these kinds of things. And we just, I couldn't see it. I couldn't get there. I, I just couldn't get the emotion or whatever, to, to write that down. And then when we were moved to a different uh, province through basically divine intervention, uh, we really feel like the Lord has called us to that province in China. And so people ask us about being involved in other places. I say, that's just not for us. We're supposed to be right here. So at the right time, the Lord makes it clear what the next step is. Yeah, I agree. And just continuing to... I think if you're actively seeking what God wants for your life and where he wants you to go, he's going to bring situations, he's going to bring people into your life that's going to make it quite clear. Like I, I met my teammates all through church. We all go to church together in Ann Arbor, and it was all just a joke of us working together until one day we all sat down and thought, well, maybe it's more than coincidence that we're all here together, that we're all interested in the same things. And once we started to be opened to that, it became clear we were supposed to go together as a group. And from that point, actually, we settled on Tenwick kind of as a default because nobody else could take a group that large. And so sometimes God uses circumstances like that. Well, by process of elimination, this is where we're supposed to go. But I think just continuing to be intentional about seeking what he wants for your life, um, getting advice from from wise people, and just, yeah. Prayer. 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 Definitely prayer. And continuing to move ahead. When I first went to Bangladesh, all I had ever heard about was the hospital in Bangladesh, and I knew there was a hospital with my organization, ABWE, in Togo. So at first I thought, well, everyone goes to Bangladesh. I'm going to go to Togo. <laughs> but the only people I knew were in Bangladesh, and I think that's a big thing. It's the people God brings in our lives. And um, so I went to Bangladesh, and it was there that I really saw the need that there was there in Bangladesh and the way that I could fulfill that need. And I think that was a huge key for me, is to see where I could fit into a ministry. And then one of the um, long-term missionaries in Bangladesh, uh, she told me, Lisa, you really need to know God's will through his word. You really need to have verses from the word of God that confirm where he has for you, because it's going to get really hard on the mission field, and you're going to come to the point where you're going to say, why in the world am I here? And to go back to God's word and say, I am here because of these verses. God spoke to me through his word, and that has been very helpful for me. Quick question about um, the frustration that you feel trying to provide quality medical care without the resources probably that you were trained with, um, or that for those of us who are being trained now, have at our fingertips. I imagine that's a pretty difficult um, uh, situation to find yourself at times, um, not being able to have what you 
wish you did, so maybe you could describe that a little bit. A, a big one for me in the field of obstetrics is fetal monitoring. For example, in the States, everyone is on the monitor all the time in labor, and when I got to Tenmic, none of our monitoring machines were working. They were all broken, and it was very difficult to do things like that. I think there are certainly frustrations. Um, I don't have everything I need to take care of the patients, but, but really, you are able to get by without a whole lot that you think you need. Um, training in the U.S. sets you up to need a whole lot of things, and when you get overseas, you realize maybe you don't need all those things. After all, you can use you can use intermittent fetal monitoring. Um, you can be more diligent about having your nurses check heart tones instead of continuous monitoring, things like that. Um, I think the patients that I lost, and, and that was a big issue, you will lose a lot more patients overseas. And there's a temptation to say, if only I was in the U.S. right now, I could have saved these people. And that's not really helpful because you're not in the U.S. And a lot of times the, the presentations that come in, um, women come in so late or they come in so sick with something, it, it wouldn't have been all that useful to have a, an ICU available at your fingertips anyway because maybe nothing in the world could have saved this patient. So recognizing your limitations of the, the setting and um, just relying on God. I think we get to a point a lot faster where, okay, I have nothing left to do for this patient. We better start praying instead of you know saying, I should have done that from the outset, really. But in the U.S., we have so many more resources that we, we forget about the power of prayer. Um, I have kind of a question relating to that. What sort of resources are available, whether it be books or whatever, to uh, kind of combat the uh, not having those things at our fingertips. I'm a critical care nurse, and I know, you know, we rely on our CTs and our x-rays and our labs and all that. So what kind of resources, I guess, have you all used um, to kind of be able to see to see that without having the x-rays and such? Um, you have to use what God gives you, and basically that's your senses. That and prayer. Prayer just, you know, it really, and even when you do pray and you do lose them, um, you come to the realization, I think, that Rachel was saying that it's just, you come to the end of yourself much quicker there. And then you learn to trust in the Lord more the next time. I think I'm in a little bit of a unique situation and I told you I went to Africa and the Lord sent us to China and I think he needed he knew that we needed to get the bush doctor thing out of my system <laughs> because we live in a city of 10 million people and we can get a CT and we can get an MRI and we get all kinds of other things a lot of our people can't afford them and so our our role is a different role our role is so what's reasonable to get here it's kind of like the role we have in the States you know we could get a CT but I don't think you need it Yes, I know other doctors would order, but you don't need it for these reasons. So, in many places you're going to be resource poor. We actually work in a ten, city of 10 million in a government hospital. So, the Lord can put you in many places. I'm a new ICU nurse, and a uh, question that my wife and I have been considering for a long time, and the nurses, I'm almost physicians identify this, but you are with missions organizations. How do you compare working with organizations versus tent making for you know, NGO government, those type of things? 
um, benefits, um, disadvantages, missions organizations versus tent making. And the second question, I can squeeze it in after that, is what do you do with language? Did you learn, do you, do you advise, make a big effort to learn language before you go somewhere long term, or do you learn as you go? I'll just take the second one first. The language thing depends on where you're going. Mm-hmm. Chinese language study for non-medical <coughs> language is two years full-time. Um, so you can't practice any sort of nursing medicine anything. So it really depends on where you're going. That's just about what I was going to say. Um, <clears throat> when I first went out to Sudan, uh, we didn't have any language courses. And we were learning a tribal language, so there was no preparation ahead of time. We waited till we got there. We found uh, someone who could speak English and the tribal language, and they taught us. Um, now, in that same base, um, when I was there, they did immersion. They set you up in a village not far away and with someone who was an English speaker, and you sat with the people, and you learned, what's that, what's that, what's that? And they were delighted to be able... and. In the end, it was all, okay, this is now my daughter. <laughs> this is my child. This is, yeah, they, uh, they adopt you. And it was great. I know in places where you go and you have to know Spanish or you have to know Arabic or whatever, you can prepare ahead of time. Um, but when, you're, when it's a very small number of people, like this was just one whole tribe, so you, you couldn't do anything until you got there. I'll speak the language and then I'll answer your first question. Um, it really does depend on where you're going, like the others have said. And people who have come to Bangladesh have said that the amount of spiritual ministry that they had was really directly related to the uh, language skills that they had. Because to not be able to share Christ in their heart language, you're really hindered by that. And you're always relying on a translator who in some areas may or may not be a believer. And so it's really, really important. And I would add to that to have some type of um, protected language learning, whether that's uh, immersion or class or some, some type of protected language learning before you really get into the hospital, into the clinic. Because once you get into the medical field, language learning is what we have seen in our hospital. It takes second part to the work in the hospital. So you, you're always sort of hindered. In that, um, your first question, whether to go tent maker or work with an organization, I would say one of the most positive aspects of being with a mission organization is that all of the doctors, nurses, missionaries that I work with there in the hospital, we all have one goal, and that is the spiritual aspect. I mean, we're there physically to help the people, but to stand by a doctor in rounds and have that doctor pray with the patient, and you're standing right there praying with them. That is awesome. I never did that in the States. And it was it's just incredible to be with that team and um, to work in a team for that primary goal. In a government hospital, you, a lot of places in China, probably, I'm sure, you're very hindered. You don't have the spiritual um, ministry that like we have. I, I work in Bangladesh. It's 85% Muslim. But we still, in our hospital, have opportunities to share Christ. And that's what I would say would be the biggest positive in working with a uh, mission organization. I have to retort to that. 
Uh, actually, we can pray with anybody we want to in our hospital, uh, in our clinic, in a Chinese government hospital. And that's just something the Lord did um, for His glory. And uh, so we have, we have more freedom in China than most people have in grade schools in America. It's just the Lord can Um, my name's Matt, uh, first year family practice resident. Um, and I just, you guys have touched on this a little bit. I wanted to ask you, though, like, what forms did your ministry take? Like, some of you worked in missions hospitals. Were you able to share the gospel with your patients? Um, if some of you guys worked kind of in a remote clinic, um, were you doing church planting? Um, basically, what, what form did your evangelism take? For myself, it's uh, reaching out to doctors that were training uh, in family medicine. And uh, we also have a Bible study we've been having in their home. Uh, I talked about being able to pray with patients. Uh, as well. I, would, I would probably say the same. I mean, there is certainly an opportunity to, to pray with patients that you're ministering to. And at, at Tenwick, actually, they have a large chaplaincy school and a chaplaincy program, so there are a lot of chaplains who can circulate through the hospital talk to patients in their own language in their own culture it's not to say that lets me off the hook but certainly what ended up being more important even than um, like ministering to patients again was just ministering to the people we were training Um, we were training 16 interns a year and when we go to Bangladesh um, we'll, we'll be working with about 20 to 30 medical students in a, in a class and I think we see I'm sorry I don't know what I said, but Burundi is where Bangladesh, yeah. I was in Bangladesh in 2008. Maybe that's why I'm getting confused. But we're going to Burundi, and we see it one of our primary goals through educating um, and educating and discipling as well. Where I was in Sudan, the clinic itself, um, they had devotions every morning. They had prayer and devotions every morning with the patients that were waiting. And then they had their own uh, prayer time before they started the clinic. Uh, in the nutrition village where I was, um, we had a captive audience because the children were there to get well. But their parents, usually their moms, were there waiting for the children to get better for a few weeks. And so we would do Bible studies. They loved stories. They loved stories. We'd read the Bible stories. And then with the, uh, and always pray. We would pray first thing in the morning. We would pray when a child got really sick. We did a lot of prayer. And uh, and the locals were good to jump in and, and help do the Bible studies that we did and, and the stories. They were great. Personally, I've had more opportunity with training. I work in our nursing school, and so every morning I would have 15 minutes of devotions with the students, and I had great opportunities to share Christ with them. Also, with our in the hospital, every morning we start our uh, shift out before we get report is we have devotions. And again, it's a great opportunity to talk with the staff. Like Rachel said, um, in Bangladesh, sort of like at Tinwick, we have our board evangelists who are the nationals that talk with the patients. And we're able to pray with them, talk with the patients. But um, I found that the nationals are much better at um, communicating with their own people. I 
can't remember your name, but you said you went to Kenya for a while, mm-hmm. and I was wondering, did you do a lot of community reach out where you taught about food preventative measures and stuff like that, and how did that go for you, and what's your advice, and if anybody wanted to go and do community and also medical work mm-hmm. to incorporate that? Um, at Tenuk, where I was, they have a very large community health program that was started, I think, about 20 years ago, and they go out into all of the villages. They do maternal child health. They do preventative care, like education about where to put your fire pit and clean water and latrines and things like that. And um, as a physician, I was not going out. They actually have community health workers. But we do get a number of volunteers there every year who come out and work with the community health department. And it sounds like it's a a great experience. Um, I think certainly preventative medicine needs to be a part of any hospital setting. Um, It's just not something that I was directly involved in. I'm Annie, I'm a fourth year nursing student. Um, This is a question again about an MP license. and being called to medical missions, but also obtaining an advanced practice nursing license. Um, And just wondering what you thought the disadvantages and advantages are of either starting with medical missions or starting obtaining like an NP license before going out into the mission field. Well, we had both, okay? Those that would come out and they had already had their NP or their PA and they would come out to the field shortly after. We've had some that worked for maybe five years and then came out. Um, some that wanted to pay off their loans first, some that came out and worked, and then they paid off their loans and they came back. So it's just an individual thing, and it's between, you know, you and the mission organization and the Lord. Okay. All right, I have a more of a personal question. How did you handle leaving your community back home and uh, just... It's reestablishing community on the field, just dealing with loneliness there. Um, for me, I left um, nine grandchildren behind that lived next door um, and went out to the field, but it was never lonely. <laughs> You're, so we're, for us in SIM, we don't send you out by yourself. There's a team that goes with you. You're part of a community and not just not just the community of missionaries, but the whole village. You're part of that, and that's your family. And um, we we had movie night at our compound. We had game night. We just yeah, we did a lot of things together, and they became my family. So as much as I missed my family back home and all and my all of my grandchildren. I had 650 children that I took care of, and, you know, so it was it was a good experience for me. I went to Bangladesh. I, of course, I left my parents and my immediate family here in the states. And uh, again, I live on a compound with 30 other missionaries, and so I have um, I'm Aunt Lisa in Bangladesh. So I have nieces and nephews over there, just like I have nieces and nephews here. And so you really do become each other's family on the compound. And um, I'm 
sister Lisa to the Bengalis. It's a relationship term uh, that they uh, bore to each one of us. And um, so I have many, many brothers and sisters <laughs> in Bangladesh. And uh, it is hard now. It's so much easier to keep in contact, though, with family in the States, with Internet, Skype. Um, it's just the world is a totally different place than it used to be. And so that's really great to be able to do that. And I might add, too, that I'm Mama Grace. That's, yeah, to the people that I worked with, the nationals, they, uh, they still email me and call me Mama Grace. <laughs> In addition to that, I just um, I just returned to my community, so I might have a slightly different perspective. But as I mentioned, my whole group of people was sent out from our church together, um, and it has been wonderful to return to that community. And I think one of the reasons that it was wonderful is we we remained very connected during those two years that we were gone. So it's hard to leave a community, and yet it doesn't mean that you're not going to see them or not going to be a part of them for two years. We listened to sermons from our church every week. Um, Some of the elders came out to visit us. We had, I think, 13 different visitors during our two years from the church. We kept up a blog so people could know what we were doing, and it was great last Sunday at church. People would come up and, you know, they they ask about specific things that we had been doing the last two years that they had read about on the blog or heard about, and so it was a way of keeping our community connected to us while we were gone as well. I would say again, it, it depends on your culture going to. The, the term uh, that we hear when we're walking down the street in China uh, is Lao Wai, uh, which means foreigner. And uh, that's just the term because 97% of the culture is Han Chinese. And so it's not like I'm ever going to be Chinese. And uh, they see it when they're walking down the street, and their term for me is foreigner. And uh, at times, that's hurtful. Um, especially if you're having a hard day, um, that's that's difficult to hear that you're never going to be a part of us. And uh, it's it's really the local people, the local friends, getting the local language that is going to help you through that. And God's word, He gives us promises to help us through this. And one of them that He gave to me uh, is about Abraham. And uh, the Lord told Abraham, "Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you." And uh, there's all kinds of promises in his word for us that will hold us fast in these difficult times. Um, I just had a question, and it sounds like you all are in, um, in, in hospitals and maybe have more access to this, but if you're in a more rural setting, do you have any advice on connecting with um, other, well, I'm a nurse, but connecting with other medical partners, say you have someone with severe scoliosis or needing heart surgery or club palette and things like that. You're pretty rural and obviously limited resources. Just you have advice to that. As long as you have good uh, a way of connecting to people back home, internet or the telephone. Now we spent a lot of time these last couple of years emailing back pictures or presentations to people. And training in the U.S., you build up a good network of people and you work with specialists and stuff. And just um, shooting off a picture, like what do I do with this in this setting? Does anyone know the CMDA website? I, I think CMDA actually has a service for this, and I can't remember what the name of it is. Do you? MD Second Opinion, with the second being number two, uh, at AOL.com, and you can send them a consult, and then they will get back to you and give you a nice, great service. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's wonderful. We don't have to send letters anymore, but we're so connected that you can get an answer back the next day so you're not alone. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) that's good. I have a personal question too, but coming from a family of complete non-believers going over to a mission, like to do missions, like do you have any advice for how to explain to them why you're doing what you're doing? And also um, as like a part two of that, um, how like leaving them behind when they're not they're not saved. So it's like you're you're leaving a mission field at home, but going into a new one without no guarantee. <laughs> so um, yeah, do you have any advice on that? Uh, first of all, I think one of the things that we don't understand in America that I've learned overseas is authority structures do matter. And uh, I think the blessing of your parents matters. And uh, we're fortunate that both of our parents, both sides, are believers. And they set us down and put their blessing on us before we left. And uh, that helps. And I think it's okay uh, for you to explain to your parents that God is blessing you through them, even though they're not believers. Um, and that it's okay for them to bless you. Um, maybe not in the name of the Lord, but bless you with their blessing and saying uh, blessing over you. And that you need that. Um, and I think that will help them in this process. Because I think one fear that parents have is that couple. One is that my child is joining Christianity as a way to rebel against me because we never got this worked out from childhood or being a teenager or whatever. Um, and the second, I forget what the second one was going to be, but anyway, that we're, we're using this you know, kind of as a, as a whip against our parents when it's really not like that at all. And uh, so for, for them to understand how much you value them and their opinion and uh, this is, you may think I'm way out there, but I would not advise anybody to go if they don't have their, their parents' blessing, whether they're Christians or not Christians. And so uh, I would urge you to sit down with them and just um, explain to them uh, how important they are to you uh, in this whole process, whether believers or not. I kind of went at it from the other end of the spectrum because when I went, it was, I have two children, and my daughter, who is a Christian, of course she was worried about me, and of course, you know, that, that kind of thing, she, but she understood. She knew the Lord was calling me there, and it was okay, and her and my son-in-law gave, us, gave me their blessing. But my son, who is not uh, a Christian, um, he had trouble with that. He didn't want me to go, and he was going to worry about me, and he didn't want me to be there. But he came the last week before I left, and I had a commissioning party, my church. And also, a friends gave me a going-away party, and he saw all of the people that got around me and prayed, and he could see that they were supportive of me, and he felt that, okay, if... if they're going to do this, okay, then it must be the right thing. So, yeah, and he was okay with that. 
think having your parents and your family be involved as much as they would like to be in, in what you're doing. They don't have to be a Christian to do that. My parents are very involved in helping with my finances here in the States, my mail here in the States. And the biggest thing that helped my parents was actually coming to the field, seeing where I lived, that I wasn't living in a mud hut all by myself, you know, out in the boondocks. You may be there, but <laughs> um, but that really, really helped my dad, especially that I had a team around me and that I was being, uh, I was taking care of.
Also, um, I think that it helps a lot to learn to depend on your coworkers, uh, the ones on your team. Trade off with them. Okay, I really want to spend Tuesdays with my family. Could could I swap days with you and maybe do Thursdays for you so that I can spend time with my family and then you can? So it's it's a give and take when you're in community with other missionaries, and you need to. Uh, be close enough to be able to ask them that. I'm also a fourth of my final year of acting school and working, hopefully going to work in the States for a couple of years just to kind of bound in a um, kind of learning basis foundation. Um, are there any certain areas of um, like a medical field like would you suggest working like meds or emergency department like for the mission field? Um, like going somewhere kind of remote or wouldn't you just have hospital? Uh, for us and for myself personally, it really worked to have that med surge background at least a year. Um, another thing is pediatrics. <laughs> There's a lot. Of, there are a lot of kids out there that you really need to have some sort of um, scope as to how to do that. Um, and if you're going to Africa, I would suggest some sort of short-term uh, tropical medicine too. It's very important. I would add OB to that too if, if you have an opportunity. But really just as general and broad as you can make it because you're yeah. going to just get all kinds of stuff on mission. Um, this kind of goes back to like information about family. Um, if like I kind of want to do something like this, like kind of further down the road, and um, like my husband, he doesn't, um, he's not in like healthcare or anything like that. And um, is there any opportunities for like your family to be able to come with you and maybe like have a job, and then if I were to have kids down the road, like for them to go to school while I was you know, overseas or anything like that, or do you guys have any experience in that type of aspect? Um, right. All right, I'll, yeah. um, I'll start out. Um, yes, we have several families on our compound who one's in medicine, one is not. Um, the short numbers that come out, uh, the wife was in the hospital, she was a physician, and the husband was a um, certified public accountant, and he worked in our office and was a great help with us there. And to have your kids with you on the field is it's awesome. They just have a, well, I, my experience has been, it has been a rich time for them to experience the different culture and the various types of um, schooling that can be done, but that's from my perspective. Uh, also, <coughs> A lot of missionaries homeschool for kids. Um, and I'll just tell a short story that we had um, a family come out. They had a five-year-old and a two-year-old. And they, the kids, so enjoyed being free <laughs> um, within the compound and having all their um, friends that sometimes they didn't even speak the same language, but it didn't matter because they had such a good time. Then the family went home and uh, back to Britain, and they, uh, the kids were miserable. 
So they're hurrying up and getting whatever education they can, the parents, so they can hurry up and come back because the kids want to come back. actually heard a lecture here, uh, I think 2007 or 2008 by Susie Snyder, who I think is here presenting this year as well. She talks about women in missions, mm-hmm. and um, uh, I think a couple key points that she had to say, one of which was one of the parents should probably be home all the time, especially if you're going to be homeschooling. Um, just making sure that in, in the U.S. it works a lot better to have two parents working and you can put your kids in daycare, they can go to school, things like that. But things are different on the missions field. And to expect that you can have two full-time parents also doing full-time parenting and homeschooling is just too much. And so whether that means your husband will stay home and homeschool or whether you'll scale back or you do kind of a 50-50, it's just you know making sure that you're both on board with that and making sure you're both flexible to do what needs to be done. Okay. We are out of time, but thank you guys. You did a great job.